Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here this morning. Appreciate you being here. We are in, let me uh, tell you where we're at. We're in Revelation chapter 2. And if I say Revelations, that's just an old habit, so don't worry about that. Revelation chapter 2. And we're looking at uh, verses 12 through 17, the compromising church. But if you will, uh, before we get started here, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We praise you and thank you for all your blessings, Father. We thank you for being the one who watches over us and takes care of us and cares about us and loves us enough to send your Son, Father, and, and give us that forgiveness that we need so that we can be in a right relationship with you, Father. We ask that you would lead and guide us in the study, help us to learn what you want us to know, Father, help us to draw closer to you and to become more like our Lord Jesus, Father. We ask that you would bless and help those who can't be here, Father, and help them to recover and, and uh, be able to actually uh, be here with us for these studies. And we thank you again for all your blessings and for all those you've helped and help them to... Uh, all the ones you have helped to uh, be better and feel better, Father, and uh, recover and be healthier. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were looking at uh, the compromising church in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and looking at question 14, but uh, let me read these few verses here first, just to refresh our minds. And the angel of the church in Pergamos, uh, no, I'm sorry, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So, we're looking at question 14. And for what does the Lord condemn them there in Pergamos, in this, this congregation? Yes. Again, we've heard them before, right. Having those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam and also mentioning those who hold to the doctrine or beliefs of the Nicolaitans. Now, what was what would we say the doctrine doctrine of Balaam was? If we look back at that old story in Numbers. 
Yes, Danny. Oh, you can you can talk if you got something to say. No, I was just gonna say, uh, Balaam wanted to. Uh, Balaam wanted money, right? In the long run, for what he would teach to the Israelites. But when he didn't get the money, and God showed him that you know his ways are evil. I guess he did sort of repent of what he did. Well, what Balaam did, you're, you're right. Balaam was drawn away and was more interested in the earthly riches he could get than actually doing what God wanted him to do. That was the problem with Balaam. You can read about this back in Numbers. It's like chapters like 22 through 25 or, you know, in that area. Um, but um, he was more interested in that in that greed, in that earthly treasure that he could get. And if we look at um, part of what they mention here with the stumbling blocks and what he did when he when it failed, when his prophecies, God forced basically him to speak prophecies of blessing on Israel, okay? Yeah. When that failed, Balak, if you remember the Moab king, was upset, angry, and Balaam continued and in like the next chapter, I can't remember, it might be this chapter, Numbers 25. Let me read the first few verses here. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So... Balaam, if you read this whole chapter 25, Balaam along with the king, uh, along with Balak and uh, the, the king of Moab, and I can't remember that name if, they're, if that's different. Anyway, um, they basically schemed and put these stumbling blocks in front of the children of Israel to entice them and to tempt them to do these wrong things. So that's the stumbling blocks that he's actually talking about. That's what he did working with uh, Balak and uh, the Moabites against the children of Israel. So, but didn't he say he didn't want to do it, though? Not that part he didn't. He didn't say he didn't want to do that. He, he kept telling them. Now, if you remember exactly what he told Balak every time, as he says, I can only say what, the, what God will let me say. He didn't say, he didn't really say that's all he wanted to do. He just said that's all he could do. And God made sure that's all he did. He was there hoping God would let him curse them so he could make that money. But that that's not what happened. So, yes, Matt. And if you sort of delineate what, it, what they're saying there, Numbers 25, he's, the people went and were with the women they shouldn't have been with. And they're playing the harlot with them. Yep. The sexual immorality. And they're having sacrifice these false gods. To, to these gods, idolatry, and then even eating with them. So they're this eating in the temple business, right? That we all the same stuff we see happening in the New Testament era as well seems to be what they're involved in. It wasn't Baal, but it was you know, Aphrodite or whatever these other. Oh, were. right, right. Yeah, with with Balaam, it was with Baal, but yeah, in in the New Testament, what we're referring to is a lot of times they're being enticed to follow into like Aphrodite or worship of Apollo or some of the Greek gods. That's that's part of the problems there. 
But you make that comparison because it's a very similar thing, and there's a lot of very similar things going on. And the, the worst thing was not so much that they ate the food, but they actively participated in the rituals. Because Paul talks about, like, if you buy food in the market and it was food that had been offered to idols and you just unknowingly buy it and eat it, that's fine. That's not a big deal. It's if you're actually participating in these things, worshiping these other gods, that's the problem. So just wanted to mention that because that's that's the most important thing. And if you're in their temple eating their food, you know you're participating in their whatever that is. Rituals, thank you. Yes. So um, so there was all of this comparison to Balaam, and then similarly saying thus, similarly they also had the teachings of the Nicolaitans, who from what we read and understand seemed to practice, you know, they were using the gospel for greedy purposes. That's the way it seems to be related, at least to me. That's the way it reads. They were using the gospel to fulfill their selfish desires, similarly, again, to Balaam, who was after selfish things. And, you know, we may see examples of that today. There are people out there who basically want to treat God like a heavenly ATM, you know, and things, things of that nature, teach wrong things that are, you know, that are kind of greedy. And it's not that God hates prosperous people or doesn't want you to prosper. It's just that our focus shouldn't be on those earthly riches and gains. That's that's the main thing. Does anybody have yes? Wait. Yeah. I think the overall picture here is that they have polluted themselves. They were unholy. Being involved in all these things, instead of living righteously, they have polluted themselves and God cannot have Right, they had polluted themselves, right? It says the compromising church, right? They're compromising. They're compromising their beliefs. They're in interacting in things they know they shouldn't be interacting in. They're, you know, they're actually becoming a part of the world. We're told we can't serve two masters. Right, we can't serve two masters. We can't compromise and become a part of the world. If that's the case, then we're no longer separate and apart. We're no longer... God's people, yes. It's not part of living as God directs, being the chosen people, a holy people, a special people. We're supposed to be set apart away from the filth that moves us in the world and sin. Right. We are supposed to be set apart from the sin and the, the polluted things of the world. We're supposed to be God's people, and we can't be that if we're actually going out and doing the very things that the world is doing. So... Does anybody else have anything on that? All right. So question 15. What warning does Jesus give the church in Pergamos, this congregation? What does he warn them about? If they don't repent, he's going to come to them with a sword in his mouth. In other words, his word is going to condemn them. Right. Repent or else he will come quickly and fight against them with the, word, the sword of his mouth, which I always think of as the word of God, of course. So... Yeah, and you see, you answered what I was going to ask was, what does this imply? Well, it implies he's going to come and judge them based on the word, right? Are you following, you know, based looking at them saying, are you following the beliefs? Are you following what I've taught you? 
So he's going to come and fight them or judge them using that word. Yes, ma'am? It's good to recognize that Jesus is serious and needs business. You can say this is harsh, but you could also say, look at the grace gift. You know, these folks are involved in stuff they shouldn't be. But you can say, hey, I want you. Repent. Get back. I want, I want you to overcome. I want you to be part of it. Right. That's a good point. You could take this as being harsh, but if you really think about it, this is the warning. So he's actually showing a lot of grace. He's like, look, you're doing all these things. They're wrong. Quit doing it. Stop doing it. You know, so I don't have to come to you and basically whoop you or whatever, however you want to think of that, you know, whatever uh, works for you in that manner. But before I come to you and you receive the judgment or the punishment. Yeah. I think that's what the pulpit's for today to say that. The preachers get up there and tell people to repent. Right. I, well, that is part, I think that is part of the job is to make sure that we're, um, Make sure that people know the word so that they know what they need to repent for and what they need to do as far as that goes. All right, so then if we look at question 16, for what does the Lord commend the church? Wait, am I on the wrong thing or did I skip? No, I think we're jumping to... Oh, okay, okay. Well, we can't jump to that yet. Hold on. So I had some bonus stuff here. If we look at verse 17, um, what does the Lord promise to the one who overcomes? Because he mentions these obstacles, and, you know, he gives them the warning, and then he says, but if you overcome, what? What does he promise them? Hidden manna. Hidden manna, right? So what do we think, you know, what does that, what does that mean? What does that relate to in a way? The manna was life-giving. That was something they had in the wilderness, right? So, his word would be the manna. You think his word would be the manna? Well, and, and I guess we could say that his word, in a way, is that's life to us. It's more important than bread, right? But what I was looking at was if you think about where they are at this point in time when they're receiving this letter, the ark... And the manna and all that's lost to them, right? They don't have that. So giving them the manna would symbolize a return to a good relationship with God, right? Now, this was just, this was just the way I was looking at this and thinking of this, where, where they're with him, trusting him. Remember how they needed to trust him and follow him in the wilderness. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. But that's, that's the kind of relationship that that would kind of uh, represent to me that that they would be back in there. Yeah, in the bread of life, yes. Matt? So, thinking about the extent that they're being persecuted or going to be being persecuted, and that you think about manna as the food to provide life, that it's hidden life, so uh, these folks are going to be seen to be killed by the world. Like, they're, these Christians are being killed. Look, we've defeated them! But there's hidden manna. They have they have access to life. The world doesn't see it, but they have eternal life. Maybe that's part of the So this is like a hidden okay, so this is also you could think of this as a hidden life. Like you were like Pat was saying the the, the manna is the word, the word of life, then you know, the, this could also be it's a hidden source of life for these people who are being persecuted by the world and being killed by the world. Because we know that, you know, the 
death in this life is not the end. We know that's not the that's not the whole story. So, so that would be a good reminder of that. Now, what else? Let's see. What else does he promise? Though there's something else, right? A white stone, right? With a new name. Now, does anybody have any ideas on what that might represent? I read an article that went through that white stone was, I think, a reward for someone who did something good. They got a reward of a white stone was their... I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I know what you're referring to. I read about that too, and that is a possibility that the white stone, sometimes back then they would give somebody a white stone. If, if you did something nice for Fred, Fred gives you a white stone, and that is a stone that basically you could give back to him later to get him to do something good for you. So it'd be like a reward, a reward system for doing something good for someone, right? Uh, it, yeah, it's like a token that you would give back to them, and, and they would recognize that as their token, and, and they would do something good for you. So that's that was one idea that I read about, and that was something I had written down. Does anybody have any other ideas? Did you have something, Matt? Or? I've heard a different idea yeah? about um, like when, when, the, when the community would vote against someone or for someone, like someone's going to get kicked out of town maybe. Yeah. Communities voting, they would put in the black stones to say, "Get them out of here," or a white stone to say they should they should stay. And so that 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 may be a reference to that. I read about that too, and that was the other one I had down here. Was those were the two things that seemed the most likely that the the white stone was considered a stone of innocence. You're being judged innocent, not being judged guilty of something, and that in relationship to the Lord, that makes a lot of sense too, right? So. That and then the new name, what might the new name kind of relate to or mean? Christian, yeah. Well, we do take on a new name of Christian, that's true. But uh, I think this was a little different than that, just that it. Yes. Right, the idea he makes us his own. Perhaps he gives us a new name. Right. Yeah, now I was I was thinking something similar to that in a way. Perhaps blameless. Right. You get a new name that's disassociated with your old life, right? So now you're in a new life with a new name. And that, that kind of goes with that idea too. Because what I was thinking was like with Abraham, with uh, Israel or Jacob, and then with Peter... If they're all kind of given a new name, which may denote a new life or a new direction in life, that kind of thing. And like we take on the name of Christian, though I said, I know, uh, this, doesn't this verse say, no one knows except him who receives it? So that, that's a little different. So I'm not sure about that part. All right, so that was my bonus stuff for, for that church. So that was some of the verses there that we were looking at. Um, all right. Does anybody have anything else on that before we do read the next part about Thyatira? Thy, thy, oh, wow. Thyatira. 
Thyatira. I want to say Thyatira, and I looked it up, and most people pronounce it Thyatira, so that's what I went with, or I'm trying to go with. So, All right. So let's read Revelations chapter 2. This is verses 18 through 29. And my heading in my Bible was the corrupt church. So this is Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, they shall be dashed to pieces like potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the first thing I want to do, actually, is look at verse 18. How does the Lord present himself there, or what title is he giving himself there? Son of God, right? He calls himself the Son of God. And that, that really makes a difference when you know a little bit about Thyatira. And I don't want to get into a great deal of history, but they were a city where Apollo, worshiping Apollo, who was one of the more popular sons of Zeus, was a very big deal. And so he is stating, I am the Son of God. He's, you know, he's, he's letting them know that he is the Son of God. Apollo is the son of Zeus, but that's just make-believe, right? So that's, that's the importance, I think, of that there, where he's, say, he's saying that. And then, if you notice how they describe his appearance, they describe his appearance. Let me go back here and make sure I say this right. Okay, he has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. One of the industries they had there in that town as well was uh, was some was bronze. They had some bronze industry and smithing there, and that they uh, we believe that that pertains to that industry in a way, letting them know, you know, that he is he is Lord over all of that. His feet are like fine brass, and his eyes like a fire. So it's kind of relating to that industry in a way. 
Also, something to know about Thyatira, it's known for the fabric dyeing, and it's the hometown of Lydia mentioned in Acts 16, if you remember that. Just as an aside, yes, Matt? This imagery in verse 18 is also drawing back from chapter 1. Yes. Where the Son of Man is the Ancient of, day, ancient of Days, which is drawing back from Daniel 7, and uh, showing that he's God, he's deity himself. Seems like each each of these churches, he's drawing a little piece of that from chapter one and putting that as his introduction. Right. This appearance does relate back to the way he appears in chapter one, and I think you're right. All the letters has something to all of that somehow relates back when he tells when he identifies himself and and a description is given. It relates back to that description in chapter one as the ancient of days, and all the way back to Daniel. That does relate back to that. So, if we look at um, question 16 here, for what does the Lord commend the church in Thyatira? What does he say good about them? Their works, their love, faith, Right, their works, love, service, faith, yeah, all that, their patience, and he says that their works, their last, are greater than their first, right? So it sounds like they're growing and improving. They're, they're not being um, what, static or declining. They're actually growing and improving in these areas. But... Sounds great. Yeah, sounds great. You should go wrong. <laughs> it sounds great. But then we look at question 17, but for what does the Lord condemn them? What's their problem? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they have somebody leading them into sexual immorality, right? Now, notice the name being used here, allowing Jezebel to teach them and, and, and beguile them into um, the wrong things, basically. Not, not so much that she's teaching, but just that she's teaching the wrong things and they're following her in the wrong way, right? Um to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols, which is really implying again that they are participating in those rituals of other gods. So, have we heard the name Jezebel before? Oh yes, right. Everybody, everybody remembers that, right? So, um, in the Old Testament, Jezebel was, we know, a wicked, evil, adulterous woman who was, you know going against God, fighting against God. And uh, what became of her? The dogs They left like her skull in her hands. It's really gross, yeah. <laughs> but the dogs, the dogs ate her. I, I had that she was trampled by horses and then eaten by dogs. So anyway, it was not a nice end for her. Um, and, and this sounds similar in that, you know, this person is leading them into idolatry and into bad things. So, let's see. So, if we look at question 18, what does the Lord say about the woman who calls herself a prophetess? Well, that is the implication that, that they should not follow her or um, follow her teaching and be led away, right? But uh, but that's not the 
I guess that's not the specific answer they're looking for. Right. She, he was given, he gave her time to repent, right? And she did not repent. Um, and he says he will cast her on a sick bed or, you know, make her sick. And, uh, and those with her into great tribulation unless they repent. This is part of the warning part of this letter. Notice, yeah, well, we'll talk about the formats of all the letters, but, um, and he will kill her children with death. So, who who are who would you consider to be her children? Do you think that's just her earthly children? Yeah, all her followers, right? That's what I was thinking too. Is that like really? It would really mean more like her followers, those who are following her. So, um, if we look at yes. That's a good point. Not she called herself a prophetess, claiming authority from God or whatever God. Right. If she claimed to be a prophetess and a teacher, yeah, and yeah, not many of us should be teachers because you're right. We have this uh, sterner judgment and this responsibility, and yeah. So. Yeah, it says, yeah, it says beguile or seduce, you know, kind of <laughs> luring them into, it's, 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 it's the age old temptation of sin, right? It, it, it beguiles us, it seduces us, it fools us into doing that. Yes, ma'am? And when we read this list of sins, sexual morality, we, we can identify with that. That's a problem in our culture too. But yep. I think with all this idol temple stuff, like you mentioned, with the eating of meat in the context of, sort of worshiping these false idols, and they would have temple prostitutes who were part of that worship. And so this woman, this Jezebel, she may have been a, sort of a, a prophet over there at the temple, the false temple, and she's coming to church to recruit people and getting them involved in all this stuff, and it's just disgusting. They did have, yeah, a lot of their, a lot of their towns would have temples to like Aphrodite or someone, and they would have temple prostitutes, and that's a whole, yeah, there, there's a whole lot wrong with that. And yes, it could be that that's what she's luring them into, into their temple practices of going to those temple prostitutes and things. So, yeah, that's, uh, and, and that's not really significantly different than what we see in our culture, just that they've made it different. They've made it different in ways in that maybe it's more about money or more about this or that, but it's still very similar sin and activity, right? So if we look at um, verse 23, so I wanted to look at this one thing. How does the Lord promise judgment to them? How, does, how is he warning them in a way? I may not be phrasing this the best. But, yes, ma'am. If any of the people in the church are her children, they're going to be judged. And then the churches will know, they will realize that Jesus is serious. Right, they'll realize that Jesus is serious because he says the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. He will, you know, using again the word of God, which is, uh, it helps divide 
separate the heart and the spirit and, you know, what helps you divide all of that, right? Um, I will give to each one of you according to your works also. So it's like an individual basis thing. He's not just going to wipe out the whole congregation, the good and the bad together. He's going to determine who's who, right? So, and then if we look at verse 24, who is the Lord speaking to in verse 24? Right. The ones who are faithfully holding on to the Lord, right? And it may be a faithful few, yes. We don't, we don't know for sure how many, but, you know, um, the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, meaning they're not following Jezebel, they're not doing those things. Then, uh, and Jezebel is probably not really the person's name. That's what I was getting at earlier. I may not have mentioned that. It's probably a symbolic name of whoever this really was, but... Um, anyway, who have not known the depths of Satan, which means these people were really off in the wrong area, right? They were really uh, going far away. But he says, I will put on you no other burden. But he's speaking to them, so. Um, okay, does anybody have anything on that before we go to the next question? All right, so 19, question 19, what exhortation does he give the church at Thyatira? Right, hold fast to what they have, right, till he comes. He's encouraging them to hold on, hold fast to what you have. Again, speaking to those who are are doing correctly, right? Or even those that would repent. But if you look, I think it goes with verse 24, and it's you know mainly pointed to those who are doing correctly. But if you repented, you would become one of those. And uh, let's see. So what do they, yeah, well, what do they have? What are they to hold on to? Their faith. Their faith. And and the good things that they've uh, that they were doing in, in verse nineteen, right? They they should hold on to those as well, right? Their their faith, their love, their service, their patience, right? All those good things. That's what they should be holding on to. Yes. I think it's really encouraging that you know should some of them realize, hey, I'm not in this, and it's not right, and I need to change because back in verse eighteen, you know. Right. Right, because this is a letter of, of grace and encouragement, right? To encourage them to repent and to turn away from those things. Again, there is a warning of judgment coming, but it is a letter mainly of grace of saying, look, 
you're doing this good, you're doing this wrong, cut that out, let's move on and, and get back to just doing what is good and continue in that, right? Otherwise, otherwise the judgment and the bad things happen. So, so it, but it's primarily, these letters are all grace and warnings and encouragement. Yes? It's easy to accidentally get caught up in the society and things going on and in the popular things that are happening and to get lured into that, you know. So, yeah, there is there is that as well. And that, that does relate to today as well. It's easy to get caught up in all the things, especially if you're hearing about it and seeing it all the time. And it's easy to get caught up in that and maybe become... What would you say? Maybe numb to it, even, and maybe you start accepting things you shouldn't be accepting, and and all of that. That's it's easy to do that. We have to watch out for those things. That's all of our time for this morning, though. Do appreciate everyone's attention and uh, interaction. Next week we'll pick up with question number twenty. Thank you.